Father, thank you for those uh, sweet truths, those uh, good news and glorious truths about Christ. God, I pray that now as we hear from you uh, in the preaching of your word, I pray that we would have uh, a true living encounter with you, the living God, as you speak through your living word, and that we would... uh, Have our eyes open to see glorious things about your Son. God, I pray that you would work in each of us what's pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I ask you to open your Bibles, please, to Colossians, book of Colossians, chapter 1. And the Apostle Paul wrote this letter during the time described by the last verse of the book of Acts, which we finished last week. Colossians uh, chapter 4, verse 3, Paul writes to the Christians in Colossae and says, I'm in prison on account of the mystery of Christ. And he asks them, pray for me that God may open a door to proclaim Christ. Well, that's exactly where Acts left off, isn't it? Paul in prison proclaiming. He was under house arrest in Rome, but he was still allowed to rent his own private lodging so he could host visitors, unbelievers, to evangelize, uh, to receive support from fellow believers, and to send out letters to believers in faraway places. One of those letters was Colossians. Remember, last week, the book of Acts ended on a note of triumph about the gospel, despite the, the chained confinement of Paul. The chaining of Christ's apostle to the Gentiles. Still, the word of God about Christ was going forth without hindrance. Remember, that was the last spirit-inspired word of the book of Acts. Unhindered. The triumph of the word. The prevailing of the gospel. Against all opposition. That was a perfect final word for Acts. Because the the continued spread of the gospel... Against the odds, that was the main melody that sounded again and again through the book of Acts. Several little summary statements in Acts hammered this same nail again and again. Acts 6-7. The word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Acts 12-24. The word of God increased and multiplied. Acts 19.20, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So as Paul sat imprisoned in Rome and he considered how the word continued to increase and prevail without hindrance, he wrote about that to the Colossians. And so I want us to turn here as a way of, of tying up the long series in Acts that we just finished and take this week to consider how Paul developed this main theme of Acts in his letter to the Colossians. And so today will be a little bit different than usual. Instead of explaining the meaning of just one passage of Scripture and walking through that passage verse by verse, that's what we typically do, verse by verse exposition, today I'm going to try and exposit an idea that's found through the book of Colossians in various places. Because it syncs with the major message of Acts. Doing this will accomplish more than merely reinforcing what we've seen in Acts. Because Colossians adds a whole new layer of understanding on top of what Acts has 
taught us about the spread of the gospel. Acts taught us it spreads in an unhindered way. Colossians teaches us about the significance of that unhindered spread of the gospel. And it teaches us that the spread of God's word about Christ is actually fulfilling God's purposes for creating man in the first place. The spread of the gospel is accomplishing something so much bigger than just the salvation of individual sinners rescuing them from hell. It does that, praise God it does that, but it's bigger, a lot bigger. God is fulfilling his purposes in creation. He's making a new people for his new creation in Christ. And so our first main point then is the gospel and the great commission of creation. The gospel and the great commission of creation. Look at Colossians 1.6. Actually, you'll need to back up to the last few words of verse 5 to find the subject of this verse. The word of the truth, the gospel. And in verse 6, Paul says, The gospel has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So the word gospel means good news. The gospel is the good news about the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's God's own testimony about the saving work of his son. And this happy news is the news that when Jesus was nailed to a cross and died, it was for our sins, so that the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands has been canceled, nailed to the cross, so we can be forgiven all our trespasses. And because Jesus rose from the dead, all who trust in him are made alive with him, brought near to God, Enabled to enjoy eternal life with God. Starting now. The end of verse 6 called this gospel the grace of God in truth. So this is the good news of the true grace of God. What God did in Christ for sinners is the true grace. It was 100% unprovoked sovereign initiative of His to intervene, to save. It was, it was pure grace. And that, that also means this rescue is God's perfectly free gift to us. We don't work for it. We couldn't. Only those who put their faith in Christ receive freely as grace, forgiveness, and the hope of heaven solely on the grounds of what Jesus has done in his life and death and resurrection. And Paul says about this good news in verse 6, The gospel is bearing fruit and increasing in the whole world. Now, to say the same thing in slightly different words, the gospel is bearing fruit and multiplying and filling the earth, or the gospel is being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth. Does that that language ring a bell for any of you? What did God tell Adam and Eve to do first thing right after he created them? Genesis 1, 26 through 28. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, his image bearers, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. 
over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, so God made man in his image after his likeness, and then God gave him a great commission. Uh, the second half of that commission describes the function of man as God's image bearer. Subdue, have dominion, so rule on earth as the representative of God the ruler. The first half of the commission is, is essentially a command for man to reproduce, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Make more image bearers. Make more image bearers so that you can be God's image all over the earth, ruling as his representative, in ways that reflect his glorious character. Okay, so we can sum up the commission of creation like this. Fill the earth with God's image. God made man in his image. He blessed them. Then he gave them this great commission. He said, all authority on earth has been given to you, my image bearers. Go, therefore, and fill the earth with my image. God called man this way to fill the earth with his glory. Fill the earth with more people who reflect his glory, image and glory. Very related concepts. 1 Corinthians 11.7 says, man is the image and glory of God. Well, in Colossians 1, Paul suggests the gospel is doing the work of the first great commission. The gospel is bearing fruit and increasing, or being fruitful and multiplying in the whole world, is filling the earth in this way. And this connection to Genesis 1 is very purposeful. Through the continual advance of the gospel, God is fulfilling his original purposes for creating man. From Genesis 1. And in this connection to Genesis 1 is more clear here in Colossians 1 and other chapters, as we'll see. Uh, more clear than it is anywhere in Acts, describing the spread of the word. But actually, those summary statements that I read to you earlier from Acts, the word of God increased and multiplied, 6, 7, 12, 24, 19, 20. Well, the words used in the original language there are the exact same words, increase and multiply, they were used in the widespread Greek translation of the Old Testament at the time, the Septuagint of Genesis 1. So the original readers of Acts, when they hear those summary statements about how the word is increasing and multiplying, if they knew their Old Testament, they would hear an echo of Genesis 1.28. They would hear the book of Acts describing the continued triumph of the gospel, fulfilling the first great commission God gave man. Now, how are these things related? It's one thing to claim this connection. At creation, God, God told man to fill the earth with his image. Here's the connection. That's exactly what the spread of the gospel is intended to accomplish. At the end goal of the gospel spread is to fill the earth with God's image. And it's not because through the spread of the gospel, God is creating new image bearers. But through the gospel, God is repairing broken image bearers so that they can bear his image more truly and gloriously as he intended in creation. So, so here the second main point, the second main point today, the image of God renewed in man. The image of God renewed in man. This is what the gospel is accomplishing, filling the earth with the image of God as God intended in creation. Flip over to Colossians 3. It says this directly, Colossians 3, verse 9 and 10. 
3.9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self or old man with its practices and have put on the new self, the new man, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So the new man is being renewed in the image of God who created him in, in his image. The gospel is going out to create a new you that looks more like God. And Paul tells the, the Colossian Christians, this is happening in you. This stuff about the new man in these verses, it's not a command. This is a statement of fact. He's not saying do this. He's saying this is done. You have put off the old self, it said. You have put on the new self, it said. It is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This is God's work through the gospel. The word about Christ spreads. God saves sinners when they respond to it in faith. From their sin, from all the consequences of sin, and one of the horrific consequences of sin is that it severely compromises how well we can image God. Sin makes us dark, twisted images of God. We were made to represent God, but our sin makes us misrepresentations of God. Our sin makes us dishonoring distortions of God's glory instead of true reflections of it. Now, sinful mankind, even apart from salvation, still does bear God's image. The image of God is not totally erased from man by sin. Man didn't stop totally being God's image when they turned away from him in the garden. But rather, mankind became like images of God that were warped. And so we distort and diminish the display of his glory that we were made to fill the earth with. And that's a great evil. You know, in light of that, all of our sin is blasphemy because sinful living defaces the image of God. When we sin, it's throwing black ink on what he meant to be a glorious, bright representation of himself. But God, he is a God of great mercy he is a God who is committed to his own glory. He is set on fulfilling his purposes for humanity in creation. God will see to it that the earth is full of his glory. And so God is on a mission to make the whole earth sparkle with his glory by renewing his own image in people from all nations all over the earth by saving and transforming them in Christ. And that's why the spread of the gospel must triumph and will because God is not going to give up on his purposes for creating mankind. He will fill the earth with his image. So the gospel goes out unhindered. And Paul knew God was doing this in the Colossian Christians. This image restoration project. God was doing it through the gospel in them. And he said as much back in chapter 1. Again, verse 6. He said the gospel has come to you. And the gospel is being fruitful and multiplying in the whole world, as also it does among you, Colossian church, since you heard it and understood it. So whenever these people put their faith in Christ, as Christ was offered to them truly in the gospel message, they were born again, they were made new, new men, new women, who had the image of God renewed in them, and then the gospel continued to work in them furthering that restoration image project. And Paul prayed God would continue doing this work in them. Uh, you'll see that again in chapter 1, 
The, look at the prayer he offered for them. He began a prayer petition in verse 9. Now, as I read verses 9 and 10, I want you to listen again for the repetition of Genesis 128 language. Again, verse 9, chapter 1. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing or multiplying in the knowledge of God. There's the same pair of verbs, the same pair that was used in verse 6. Those two pairs are not found paired anywhere else in the Bible. This can't be a coincidence, and they are pairs that that, uh, I think quite obviously, especially given the broader context of Colossians, Paul intentionally is writing them independence on Galatians 1.28. So, so what is Paul doing? He thanked God that the gospel was bearing fruit and multiplying in them and filling the earth among them. And then he prayed for them that they would bear fruit and multiply and be filled. That God's work through the gospel would continue to have its good effects in them. He prayed they'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will, God's will, would multiply or increase in the knowledge of God and, and be fruitful in good works. God works through the gospel to fill the earth with his image, not just by reaching and saving more people, but by changing saved people more and more. As Paul's prayer indicates, as Colossians 3.10 indicated, that this sense of progression, the new man is being renewed in God's image. It's still a live construction project. So, so Paul prayed for that to happen in them. Okay, now get this from verse 10. When Christians bear fruit in good works and multiply in the knowledge of God, and are filled with the knowledge of God's will. Verse 10 says, God is well pleased by this. Why? It's because he sees, when that's happening, he sees his image being renewed in them. God is pleased by the display of his own image and glory. Just like we learn in creation. When God looked at creation and he saw all his handiwork, he said, this is good. When God looked at creation and he saw his own image, he said, this is very good. God looks down at creation now, and he sees his own work through the gospel. As he does, he has seen his own beautiful reflection emerging more clearly on earth, and this pleases him. Because God perfectly loves what is perfectly lovely. Now, to further understand how God is doing this, you need to see how the whole enterprise all hangs together in Christ and only in Christ. And so our next main point is the image of God perfect in Christ. The image of God perfect in Christ. God works through the gospel to fill the earth with image bearers because the gospel is all about Christ. It calls men and women to faith in Christ. And by faith, they're united to Christ which applies to them the work of Christ. And then they start becoming increasingly like Christ. God's great goal for creation 
where he's filling the earth with his image. Christ is all in all in that plan. That's what Colossians says. Look again at the verses from chapter 3. Verse 10 talked about those who've put on the new self, which, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now look at verse 11, which adds about this renewal of the image. There is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but rather Christ is all and in all. That's how this works. That's the mechanics of this project, the inner mechanics. As the gospel spreads, people are renewed as God's image because Christ is in them and they're all being made like Christ. doesn't matter who they are. Greek, Jew, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. If they are being made new, if, if they have the image of God being renewed in them, it's only because Christ is in them and they are being made like Christ. And at the end of chapter 1, if you flip back there, Paul makes it explicit. He says explicitly, the blueprint for God's image renewal project is to make us completely like Christ. Colossians 1.28, Him, Christ, we proclaim. Verse 28, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ or fully mature in Christ or complete in Christ or even perfect in Christ. See, God repairs His image in us by conforming us to the image of His Son. The new self that we put on after the image of our Creator is a brotherly resemblance to Jesus Christ. You can grow in the image and likeness of God only if you grow in likeness to Christ. And that's because Christ is the original, eternal, perfect image of God. Didn't you say that, all of you, earlier in the worship service, in the confession of faith? This is not the first time in the book of Colossians that something about the image of God has been said here in chapter 3. That would be Colossians 1. Look at Colossians 1. After his prayer for the Colossians, he writes out a hymn of praise about Christ, which begins in 1.15 with these words. 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God. Who? Well, to, to find the referent of that pronoun, you need to travel back to verse 13, actually, to see who we're talking about. It's God's beloved Son. God's beloved Son is the image of the invisible God. This is not the only place Paul said that. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Paul wrote, The gospel was about the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. God didn't need to create us to have an image of his glory to behold and be pleased with. He's always had his son, who is his image. The son is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Hebrews 1, 3. The son, who is the image of God, said, as the image, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. John 14, 6. 
eternally. The Son of God was, is, will be the perfect image of God. The Father beholds His Son and says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Eternally, he is the, He's the perfect, radiant reflection of my glory, my Son. My Son is my, my spitting image to an infinite degree. The exact imprint of my character. So God made a plan to save us in Christ. Make us like Christ. Because Christ is the image of God. And that's the way he would fill the earth with his glorious image. And Christ would be all in all. Now, if you didn't know anything about Colossians 1.15. Anything before it, anything after it. But you knew some other stuff about the Bible. And I ask you, I just read the verse, and I ask you, who's that talking about? The image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. You maybe would say, Adam. Adam was created in God's image and was the first in creation to be made such. But, but the next verse gives it away. This can't be Adam because this image of God wasn't created at all. This image of God is the creator of all creation, including Adam. Verse 16 says, all things were made by him, through him, and for him. And so along those lines, verse 15 didn't say that the beloved son was made in God's image. It didn't say he was created in God's image, like Genesis 1 says. 1.15 simply said he is the image of the invisible God. And then that second part of verse 15 that calls him the firstborn of all creation, that doesn't mean he was the first thing made or created. He wasn't that. Clearly, the next verse, he's, he belongs on creator side of the infinite chasm between creator and creation. So calling the son the firstborn, what does that refer to? It refers to his kingship, his rule over all creation. Firstborns, Especially in ancient times, they would share uh, the inheritance of the Father. They would share the dominion of the Father, the rule and the kingdom. That That was their right. So this verse does distinguish Christ from Adam. He's not created like Adam. But still, I think this language is supposed to help us connect Christ with Adam. Because Adam was also God's firstborn in the sense of rule and dominion, wasn't he? God told Adam, subdue the earth, have dominion over it and everything in it as my image. So so even though this passage distinguishes the eternal son and image of God from Adam, the created image of God, at the same time, it, it, it means to associate for us the work of Christ with Adam. And why? Why, we should ask. What does that help us to see? It helps us to see how the work of Christ is meant to fulfill God's purposes for creating man. In the beginning, Adam and his descendants. By by his work to save sinners, Christ has become the head of a new humanity who are made new as God's image, who will fill a new creation, just like we sang, the true and better Adam. And Christ has already started this new creation, creation creation-fulfilling work. That's how you understand the gospel from a wide-angle lens. Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. 
from creation to new creation. Now, the next verse in Colossians 1 actually explains these things further. Look at verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. 118. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. You see the repetition of the firstborn language here. Verse 15 told us that the eternal son was the firstborn, the ruler of creation, because he made it all. This verse is telling us the son of God has become the firstborn of of the new creation as a man by by his resurrection, by being the first to rise from the dead. The bodily resurrection of Jesus was literally the beginning of the new creation. That's what verse 18 means by saying Jesus, as the firstborn from the dead, is the beginning. It's creation language. It's in the same reality is, is in Revelation 3.14, where Jesus is called the beginning of God's creation. You think, uh-oh, I don't want to be an Arianism. What, uh, what does that mean? Well, it means he's the beginning of God's new creation. When he walked out of Joseph's tomb, that was the tip of the spear of the creation of the new heavens and new earth that's totally set free from all the effects of sin. His glorified humanity is the beginning of God's new creation. It's the very first part of physical creation, totally set free from the curse that hangs over this present fallen creation. So in in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning of the new creation, Jesus rose from the dead. All right, hang with me. This is not unrelated to what we've been talking about. about. About the goal of the gospel and our renewal as God's image. Because the death and resurrection of Jesus accomplished not just our redemption from sin and its effects and the curse of God. For us, not just for us. His death and resurrection secured the redemption of all creation from the effects of sin and from the curse. Okay, think back to Genesis. God's intention was for man. His intention for man was that we would bear his good image uh, in and ruling over a good creation. Man was supposed to reflect God's glory back to him against the backdrop of a creation that was also good and glorious. So man in God's image was supposed to be the crown jewel of a whole creation that was glorious. And the good news of what Jesus did is so good that in Christ, God does not just restore his image in us. He restores the realm that he gave us dominion over as his image. If God wants his original intention for humanity to come to fruition, he can't just rescue us from the fall. He needs to rescue all creation from the curse. And so he does in Christ. And the next verses of Colossians say, verses 19 and 20, For in him, Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, the accomplishment of the cross has cosmic consequences. The end goal of the gospel is to make 
Those who trust in Christ, perfectly, in the end, perfectly renewed image bearers, who are set free from the sin that distorts that image, so that we can represent his rule in a perfect new creation that is also set free from all the effects of sin. God is fulfilling his purposes for creating man and the spread of the gospel today is the leading edge of that work. If God has united you to the risen Christ because you trust him and his spirit's in you, then you are already part of the new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is new creation. Our English Bibles say he is a new creation. There's actually no article in the original. If anyone is in Christ, he is new creation. God, if God has begun that work of image restoration in you, transforming you to Christ's likeness, that is God's work of new creation, glorification already at work in you, in your inner man. It's amazing. And the book of Acts has taught us to think along these lines. That the spread of the gospel would be the inauguration, the inauguration, the beginning, beginning fulfillment of God's work of new creation. The beginning of Acts, it said, the Spirit was poured out on the disciples of Jesus. And that's what Old Testament prophets foresaw God would do, pour out His Spirit on His people when he transformed and glorified all creation. Isaiah 32, 15. When the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, or poured upon us from on high, the wilderness becomes a fruitful field. The fruitful field becomes a forest. Justice and righteousness will dwell in it. Well, okay, clearly God hasn't begun to transform the earth as new creation, but through the spread of the gospel and the continued work of the gospel in believers... He has already begun to transform the people who will fill the new creation in righteousness because his spirit was poured out on those who trust in Christ in response to the preaching of the gospel. For what purpose? To empower the unhindered spread of the gospel to begin this new creation work. He's fulfilling the purpose as he has for man. In creation, by making a people for his new creation, and he's doing it all in Christ, so that in everything, Christ will have the preeminence. Now, if this, if this is God's great purpose and mission for the world, and if we are his people, then we should always live with an awareness that this is our great mission in life too, to fill the earth with God's image. Don't live for something less. Fill the earth with the image of God. You were made for that and you were saved for that. So lastly, consider with me what the book of Colossians says about how we can join in this work of God to fill the earth with his image. Here's our last big idea. How to join this work of new creation. How to join this work of new creation. Now, I have to start by saying, if God's doing this work in Christ, only in Christ, 
through the gospel of Christ, then the first thing that you must do to join the work, to join the creation, is to get in Christ and get Christ in you. And that's simple. You trust him as he is offered to you in the gospel, crucified from your sins, risen from the dead in glory. Those who trust that are joined to Christ by union of his spirit that he pours on you. Receive the true grace of God. This is the grace of God in truth, Paul said. This is not fairy tale grace. This is true grace from God in Christ. Receive it. Trust him. Rely on Christ and gain a glorious destiny in a new creation and become, after Christ, a true image of the invisible God. What higher dignity could you possibly live for or pursue than that? Now, as a Christian, with other Christians, your work is to get to work filling the earth with his image by pursuing the increase of God's image in you and in other people around you. Seek the renewal of his image, the further renewal of his image in yourself and in others. Okay, so, so I'll close by giving you three Ps, all drawn from Colossians. How we do this, how we join this, personal transformation, proclamation, and prayer. Now these are not three totally distinct things personal transformation, proclamation, and prayer. There's overlap between them. But they're worth considering in turn, distinctly, and seeing them in this letter. So first, fill the earth with God's image through personal transformation. You received Christ. Very good. Now, in many ways, the message of Colossians is, now grow up in Christ. Colossians 2.6, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. Okay. Seek to become an image of God, become an image of God that is more accurate, that is more vivid by pursuing conformity to Christ. And okay, chapter 3 said we have put on the renewed image of Christ, but in the wider context, Christians are pursued to put forth personal effort to live out that reality more, pursue greater newness after the image. Verse 9, every Christian has put off the old self. And so just before verse 9, they're commanded to put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth and lies. That doesn't image God. You're not filling the earth with God's image when you live and talk like that. Put it away because you've put on a new self that's renewed after the image of God. Verse 10, every Christian has put on the new self in Christ. And so just after verse 10, they are commanded to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, and above all, to put on, same verb, love. We, we image God and reflect his glory when we put on these things. Putting on those things is how we dress up like Christ and look like him. And it pleases God to look down and see that likeness of his son. So pursue the pleasure of God 
by pursuing Genesis 1 style personal transformation. Bear fruit in good works. Multiply in your knowledge of God. And it's important to remember, catch the big picture of Colossians 3. This can only happen as you abide in Christ. This personal transformation can only happen as you continually, consciously depend on Christ's work. As is proclaimed to you in the gospel, verses 1 through 4 of chapter 3. That shows us the way. It grounds the rest of the chapter. It says, as you set your mind on these things, your union with Christ, that you, uh, that, that you are in heaven with him, that when he appears, you will appear in glory with him, that your life is hidden in him, that you have died with him, that because you've been also raised with him. Therefore, because all that's true, and as you set your mind on that being true, Put to death what is earthly in you. Verse 5 says, Rise to greater new creation life in his image. And as we pursue that, abiding in Christ, God has given us two great tools for um, pursuing this new creation work of of image renewal. It's proclamation and prayer, or or the word and prayer. Concerning proclamation, remember chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 6, where we started, what did it say? It said the gospel itself is what was bearing fruit, multiplying, and filling the earth. God's work about Christ was doing it. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is also the power of God for the restoration of his image in us. So don't don't try to fill the earth with his his image in, in yourself or others without it. This is God's chosen means, the the gospel, the word. So so to fill the earth with his image, you need to feed on the word. This is the food that makes us look more like him and and share the word with others. And and Paul said in 128, which we looked at, that as he works to present others mature in Christ, how does he do that? By proclaiming Christ, warning and teaching Christ. Everyone. And verse 29 says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Struggle with the energy that God works in you to feed on the word, to proclaim the word about Christ to others so that people will mature in Christ. Don't just make disciples, mature disciples. Make mature disciples. So, so personal edification by the word, word-based evangelism of unbelievers, gospel-centered discipleship, scripture-centered encouragement of other believers, listening well to the preaching of the word, bringing more people under the preached word. All, all that counts as what I mean in saying that we fill the earth with the image of God through proclamation, the word, the gospel. Now, finally... Seek to increase the image on earth through prayer. Paul prayed for the Colossians that they would be fruitful in good works, multiply in the knowledge of God, and be filled with the knowledge of his will. And then right after he said he he toiled to present everyone mature in Christ through proclaiming, in the beginning of chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 1 of Colossians, he said, I want you to know how great a struggle... I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. 
Paul had never personally been with these people. How did he struggle for Christians he had never met face to face? To help them mature in Christ and grow in Christ's likeness, surely the answer must be prayer. As he modeled in chapter 1, he says, I always pray for you when I think about you. Always in my prayers remembering you. And, and, and that fits what he said about another brother in Christ in Colossians chapter 4. Another brother who was working to fill the earth with God's image. Colossians 4.12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. He is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. To what end? So that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. This is real. God has established this means. We, we really can be used by him to help others mature in Christ, to help others uh, be further renewed in, in God's image simply by praying for them. It's real. Pray for that. Follow Paul. Follow Epaphras. Struggle in prayer for others for that. Fill the earth with God's image through earnest prayers of intercession. And trust God really will use your prayers to further his worldwide work of image restoration. So the book of Acts has shown us that the word of God, and namely the gospel, will go out unhindered by God's sovereign power to accomplish God's saving purposes. And here the book of Colossians shows us the end goal of that ongoing triumph of the word. Through the spread of the gospel, the continued work of the gospel in believers, God is fulfilling his purposes for creation by filling the earth with his image in Christ. We join that work of the new creation by means of personal transformation in Christ, proclamation of Christ, prayer to God in the name of Christ, and again, so in everything, Christ is preeminent. And Christ is all in all, just as God the Father desires and just as Christ deserves. Father, help us to see the beauty of your plan and what you're doing. God, I pray that you would help us to awaken to the honor that you have bestowed on us to make and then renew us in your image. After the way that we have lived, distorting your image, that you would be so gracious to us to forgive us for all those things and then work to reclaim us as true and glorious image bearers. God, we cannot thank you enough for this. Thank you for this true grace. God, and I thank you for uh, your plan for Christ to be all in all. We agree with you that that is right, that Christ deserves it, and, and we very much look forward to the day when every knee bows and every tongue says Christ is Lord and that that is to the glory of you, to the glory of the Father also. God, I pray you'd give us grace to be more like Paul and his co-worker, that we would struggle in proclamation and struggle in prayer and put forth great effort toward personal 
transformation. God, protect us from doing that in a way that relies on self-effort and not in a way that's resting in and abiding in the work of Christ and our union with him. God, I thank you for uh, your promise that you will finish this work, that you'll finish the work of creating a new heavens and a new earth, and you'll finish the work of fitting us for it. Uh, When we see Christ, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. God, this is wonderful. God, we, we ask that you would also be so gracious as to uh, save uh, any in here who may be separated from you, who are not in Christ. God, help them to see the truth of this message of grace and help them to see uh, the graciousness, the utter graciousness of what you offer in Christ. And, and we pray that they would respond to it even today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.